the uh, kindergarten through fifth grade could be run out of here. No. What's that? We didn't sing it today, but we listened to a song at the house before we came over here. The uh, I Ran Out of That Grave song. They were running out of that grave. No. Uh, so let's be in prayer for that class as we prepare our hearts for the, ser- the, the sermon from a message from God's Word. And if this is your first time here or you haven't been here in a while, it's Resurrection Sunday and you're like, man, we're going to get a resurrection passage. Well, you didn't get the resurrection passage today. We're in Mark and we're going to go with Mark. But I think this passage will connect to resurrection and the Messiah being alive. And I hope you get the connection that I made in my study and how it flowed. So if you came here today expecting a, the empty tomb passage, well, you didn't get it. Okay, You had to come earlier with Perry. He got the empty tomb and sun is risen. So, But let's pray today before we dive into the book of Mark. Well, let's read it first. My bad on that. I always like to read it before I pray. This is Mark chapter 12. We're going to finish chapter 12 today, starting in verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Pray with me before we learn from this passage this morning. God, you are holy and above everything. You are in control. Thank you for this time that we can gather together in this place. Whether we're here in person or whether we're listening online, I pray our hearts would be open, our ears would be open, our eyes would be open. To understand and know from your word how to live better, how to relate to each other better, But help us also to just look to you. 
to know who you are in a better way today. Thank you for the children and the teachers that are teaching them at this very moment. Be with them. Help them to continue to learn and grow in their faith journey. And help us this morning to learn and grow in our faith journey as we end Holy Week 2023. And all I can say right now is thank you, Jesus. Amen. You see the title there, Watch. I have a question for you. What's the last thing you watched? What's the last thing you watched? The last thing I watched was some of the Masters tournament. Only probably one other person in this, or maybe two, have watched that this weekend so far. Me, Mike Wilson, and maybe my dad. Anybody else? But that's the last thing I watched. Oh, Kathy, you watched it too. Thank you. We all like golf. The last thing you watched might have been a movie, might have been a show, might have been birds outside, might have been trees blowing in the wind, might have been people. You could have been watching people. You see, and some of you might even be wearing a watch right now, right? There's different meanings to the word watch. Yes, I looked it up. I knew I was going to get some laughs. No, I looked it up. I had to. I was like, there's so many different meanings for the word watch. As an intransitive verb, it means to be attentive or vigilant, to observe as a spectator. That's what I would be if I'm watching the Masters tournament. I'm a spectator. A transitive verb is to look at, observe, to be careful of, tend. And then watch is also a noun. Close observation, surveillance, or a portable timepiece worn on the wrist or carried in the pocket. You see there's several meanings to that word, right? There's several meanings. And throughout the passage, I'm going to use three of those meanings in different ways. So you see there, there's three sections. If you followed along in the reading, there's three sections, very laid out well, okay? Jesus asks a question, he answers it, and then he tells about the teachers of the law, and then he tells about sitting opposite of the temple treasury, and a lesson there. So if you're taking notes, every point is going to begin with the word watch, okay? The word watch. The first one, if you're writing it down, I'm sorry I don't have it on the screen, but the first point we're going to look at is watch the Messiah. Watch the Messiah. And that definition I'm using is the first, or from the second word, the transitive verb meaning to look at, observe. So look at, observe the Messiah. And you see there, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, them a question. Remember last time what happened at the very end of last passage? No one dared ask any more questions after that. Here, Jesus himself started with a question. Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? Gives no time for them to answer, goes right into his answer. That's how I see it. He asked the question, but he's like, I don't want to hear you. I'm going to give you the answer. He says, David himself 
speaking by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? So, the Messiah, if we understand Scripture, is coming from the line of David, correct? We know that. We read it. We saw last week, Palm Sunday, if we didn't do the passage last week, but Palm Sunday, Jesus rides in on the donkey, and what do they shout? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the kingdom of what? His father David, right? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So they know that the Messiah is some connection with David. But Jesus is saying, how then can the Messiah be David's son? And he quotes from Psalm 110. So he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. And we're going to look at that in one second here, but I want to give you a picture. Colossians 3, 1. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. Colossians 3, chapter 1. If we're observing and looking at the Messiah, if that's our what we're looking at, looking at Jesus, it says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So we're supposed to be looking at Christ who's at the right hand of God. Not on this earth, in heaven. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 12. The writer there says, Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him. I think observe, look at Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So we're supposed to be looking at observing Jesus, the Messiah. And he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1, who, they probably should know the Scriptures, right? The people that are listening probably should know the Scriptures, and he quotes from one of their texts, probably. So they're listening. Now, in Mark chapter 12, the New Testament's written in Greek, right? I hope you say yes, because who cares if you're not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, but... If you've been around for a while, the New Testament's written in Greek. So this is Greek. The Lord, Lord there, okay, is the same word. Kurios. It means Lord. In the Hebrew text, if you go back to Psalm 110, the first Lord is the unpronounceable name. Nobody pronounced that name. The, the Hebrews, the Jews, they couldn't say that name. So they wrote Jehovah, the existing one. That's the first Lord, okay? The second Lord, they, it's a parallel to Jehovah or to the unpronounceable name Adonai. It's a different word, but the same meaning. And all of these, as I was studying and I'm trying to, if we're watching the Messiah, Jesus, all of these, Kurios, Jehovah, the unpronounceable name, or Adonai, all have this in common. Lord, Master, Owner. 
So, David himself writes, by the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the existing one, said to my Lord, Adonai, Master, Lord, Owner, sit at my right hand. So, David is saying, the Lord, the Messiah, is greater than I am. Isn't that wonderful? David says, yes, the Messiah is coming from my line. I know, he probably doesn't quite understand it fully, but he's, he's a king, so he knows somehow the Messiah has got to come from a line, a kingly line. But he says, greater than me. Not my son. The Lord is greater than me. So how are we watching the Messiah? And remember, who's traveling with Jesus? His closest friends, the 12 disciples, right? And one of them, remember Mark probably got his info from Peter. And you know what Peter quotes in the Pentecost sermon? Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. And he says this. So he's preaching Pentecost sermon and in chapter 2, starting in verse 34, Peter says this, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both, both Lord and Messiah. Peter quotes the same verse that Jesus quotes here. Do you think he was listening? Yes. And he remembered. Jesus said it. The Messiah comes from David, but it's not David's son. It's greater than David. He's the Messiah. The owner, the master. And something also interesting before we move on. Psalm 110, I think, is I've heard and read in a couple different sources that it's the most quoted verse in the New Testament. So watch the Messiah. We're observing the Messiah, especially on this Resurrection Sunday. Are we observing the not-dead Savior? I hope we are. And then Jesus, and I, I like this too, the large crowd listened to Him with delight. When you hear about Jesus the Messiah and the things about Jesus, do you listen with delight? I hope so. I hope so. And then Jesus, so we got watch the Messiah, and then we get to second section here. As he taught, so he's still teaching, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. So if you're writing notes, that's the next point. Watch out for the teachers of the law. And the definition I want you to use for that watch is to be careful of. Tend. To be careful of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. In that day, they would wear long robes. They got their tassels on. They're, they're flowing. They're walking in the marketplaces. They're greeted with respect because everybody's like, okay, they're a, a teacher of the law. I got to re respect them. They sit at the seats in the synagogue, probably the, the most the upfront ones where everybody can see them, the places of honor in a banquet. They're the head of the table. They would have took my seat. No, that was a joke, but 
I was just thinking, yes, they would have took my seat. And I would have probably been upset. <laughs> and then verse 40, you get, that, this just struck me. And you'll see why once we get down later. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Wow. I'm sitting in the best places. I'm greeted with respect. But I'm going to be punished most severely. That would have, oh man, that strikes me. So to be careful of, we have to beware of destructive teaching. Who likes to read books? I do. I, if you go to my shelves in here, there's a lot of books I read. Now, what do you do with a book and you don't agree with what they say? What do you do with it? Do you burn it? No, I don't burn it, but... What do you do with a book you don't agree with? They say something and you're like, I don't know if that's quite right. What do you do with it? Do you believe it? Do you say, well, that sounds new. I don't agree with it, but it's a new teaching, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. I'll believe it. Or do you say, I'm aware of that teaching. Let me see if it matches up. Or let me see what the Bible says. If they're interpreting it right, or are they understanding it right? So these teachers of the law, yes, they were teachers, but we have to beware of destructive teaching. And I hope you are as you're reading, as you're studying, as you're reading the Bible, and you're studying with other people. I hope that we are aware that there's teachings out there that kind of twist things around. And what do we do with it? Are we careful of it? So watch out for the teachers of the law. And then you get to verse 41. I'll let you write down if you're writing notes. It's watch for lessons to be learned from the reading of Scripture. Watch for lessons to be learned from the reading of Scripture. And this definition is close observation surveillance. So a close observation of reading Scripture and a surveillance of it. So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasuries. In the temple in that day, there was 13 different temple treasury boxes around in the temple of the court of women. So that's not just for women. Everybody could go there. That's, all, that's as far as the women could go. So 13 of these trumpet-like boxes are around, and people could put their money for the temple treasury in the 13 of them, whichever one they wanted. I don't know which one he sat in front, but it says Jesus sat down opposite one of them. And then he, many rich people threw in large amounts. So... I. <laughs> If you want to get a picture of it, okay, this is, you know, I would grab a, let me grab, Cody, I'm stealing your stool for a second. Is that okay? So that would be like me coming in here in the morning, right before service, and I'm going to take a seat. Okay, I can see, okay. I'm just going to take a seat, and I can see our money box, right? 
It's right there. That's what Jesus is doing. He sits down right here and he's just looking at the temple treasure. So people are walking by, dropping their money in, right? So rich people are bringing their large amounts. So he's observing this. And then a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So in verse 43, he calls his disciples. So his disciples are probably around him, right? And Jesus is looking at the temple treasury. People are walking by. Coins are being dropped in. Tons of money is being dropped in from these rich people. And all of a sudden, they see a poor widow stop at one of them that he's looking at. And she, she drops in two copper coins worth only a few cents. And then Jesus does something so amazing here. This is why I wanted the, your point to be watch for lessons when you read Scripture. Because He calls His disciples to Him. He's like, hey disciples, come here. I have a lesson to teach you about the temple treasury box that I sat across from. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the temple treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. He calls his disciples to himself and says, I have a lesson I want you to get from this scene right now. From a widow that has dropped two small copper coins in the temple treasury. Now just, just take the passage. If you let the passage speak for itself, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. Jump back to verse 40. These teachers of the law, they devour widows' houses. Maybe this widow just got her house devoured. Everything is taken away from her. She gets to the temple court, and the temple treasury, what's that supposed to be for? To run the temple. You're paying the teachers of the law, basically. To let them do for the temple what needs to be done. So she's going to the temple treasury where the, maybe her house has just been devoured by the same teachers of the law that Jesus is warning about. And she walks up and puts in all that she has. If that doesn't strike you, I don't know what scripture would. Because this widow has nothing left but two very small copper coins and Jesus says disciples here's a lesson for you I read an article this week The Bible is literature. It says this, which is powerful because you just heard it 
if you read it, just let the text speak for itself. Similarly, Christians recognize the Bible as a different sort of book from all the other books. Remember I said I like reading. I do. While God may inspire an artist or the Holy Spirit draw a reader toward a divine revelation through art, the Bible is more than a mere literary experience. Recognizing the Bible as literature opens us up to a fuller appreciation of the holy book than if we treat it like an instruction manual or to-do list. It is a bibliography of genres, including poetry, song, lament, prophecy, history, narrative, parables, letters, dreams, and so forth. We should practice reading to enjoy the fullness of the literary experience. However, as a book divinely authored by God, the Bible also stands apart from all literature penned by human authors. God inspired human writers to pen the words, but God also authorized those pages. No matter what other beauty, truth, and goodness may be found elsewhere, other works of literature lack the authority that Scripture has over Christians. Our Judeo-Christian Scriptures provide an assurance of their authority. Literally, their author is God, as well as their usefulness for forming readers into righteous servants. Did you catch that? Forming readers into righteous servants. This authority relieves readers of the burden of sifting through what is fallible and what is divine. They end the article. As we engage the Bible then, we should read it not for our own gain, but as a spiritual practice, always open to how the Lord is planting seeds in our heart, teaching us more about Him, and showing us ways of living more like Christ in the world. If you want to read the article, it's very powerful. Because the Bible is literature, but it's much more than a literature book you have on your shelf. God is the author. Even Jesus said, David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, said this. So watch for lessons to be learned from the reading of Scripture. I want to end with two different things here. And then a, a connection the last one's a connection to today, Resurrection Sunday. Psalm chapter 81 says this. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music, strike the timbrel, play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon, and when the moon is full, on the day of our festival, that this is a decree of Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. When God went out against Egypt, He established it as a statute for Joseph. I heard an unknown voice say, I removed the burden from their shoulders. That's key today, huh? Jesus removed burdens, resurrected from the dead. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress you called, and I rescued you. Another one. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you out of the waters of Meribah. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not worship any god other than me. Listen to this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. 
but my people would only, sorry, but my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own decrees. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before Him and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. If you only listen to me, how quickly I would subdue enemies. If you only listen to me, we have watched the Messiah. Are we listening and are we observing, looking at the Messiah? Are we watching out for the teachers of the law? Are we listening to God's Word and not other people's words? Are we watching for lessons as we do read the Scriptures? And then this goes right into this, one of my favorite song words. The lyrics of this song, Death Was Arrested. It was written by Brandon Coker, Paul Smith, Heath Balsglear, and Adam Kirsch. They say this, Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, Lost without hope, with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance when death was arrested and my life began. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend when death was arrested and my life began. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Oh, we're free. Free. Forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yes, we're free. Free. Forever. Amen. When death was arrested and my life began. When death was arrested and my life began. When death was arrested and my life began. Every Sunday, you come into this building and you hear about the cross, right? Jesus paid the penalty for sin. But without the cross, you don't have the resurrection. There's no death. And then without the resurrection, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday. You can't have the resurrection without the cross because there's no person to be resurrected from the dead. You need both. So why do we celebrate or remember Jesus' death in the service? 
And why do we end with this? The baptism. Because without death, there's no what? There's no what? There's no what? There's no resurrected new life. That's why I talk about baptism. Because without the death, you can't be buried without dying. I hope not. You can't be buried without dying to something. Jesus went to the cross, died for the sins of the world. He said it's finished. He died and they took him off the cross, put him in a tomb. The stone was rolled away. Guards were put there so they wouldn't steal the body to act like Jesus arose from the dead. But the stone rolled away. The guards were stunned. The tomb empty. He's a risen. And that's why I like this song. Death was arrested. It's defeated. It's gone. And when we say, Jesus, save me from my sin, you're the only one that could do it. You're the Messiah. I believe it. You're my Lord and Savior. I confess it. And then you go to the water, and what is being buried? Your life. Your old way of life is gone into the grave and you're raised to what? Everybody say it again. You're raised to a resurrected new life in Jesus. We celebrate, we remember the cross, but we don't just do that. We celebrate the resurrected life of Jesus because that's the same with us. We're dead to our sin and we're alive in Jesus. You don't have the cross or you don't have the resurrection without the cross. And you can't have I had it in my mind earlier. <laughs> you have to have them both. So watch the Messiah. Watch out for teachers of the law that are teaching destructive things. And watch for lessons to be learned when you read the scriptures. Have a close surveillance of it. And today, remember that death was defeated. What did, Saul, what did Jesus quote? The Messiah is going to... This is how I see it. Because he says, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus is sitting where? At the right hand of the throne of God. And when Jesus comes back, all enemies are going to be what? Defeated. And the last one is death. But he's defeated death already. He's resurrected. I know it's not a normal Resurrection Sunday passage, but I hope that you saw just with that word watch, there's many meanings to it. Let's be watchful today. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for the gospel according to Mark. Just like the poor widow put in her two small copper coins, all she had, Jesus gave up his life for us.
He paid the penalty for sin. He was put in a grave, but the grave did not hold him in. Jesus is risen. He's risen. I hope and pray that we all would have ears to hear and eyes to see that Jesus is not dead. He's alive and well at the right hand of the throne of God, even right now interceding for us. There's new life in Jesus, and we thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.